Thanks for tuning in to the Embodied Astrology Podcast. I'm Renee Sills, consulting astrologer, somatic practitioner, and your host. At each new zodiacal season, I offer audio horoscopes by donation for your sun, rising, and moon signs. If you'd prefer to read rather than listen, you can also find written and edited transcripts of these horoscopes in my free virtual member community. If you enjoy what you hear today and would like to support this work, please make sure to follow and subscribe and leave a great review. Your donations and memberships sustain the production of these readings. Thank you. You can find more information in the show notes or at embodiedastrology.com. Yay, said I'm so happy to be sitting with you here and getting to see you on Zoom. And I just saw the top of your tea mug and I'm holding my tea. Oh, your mug is black. Mine is white. Cheers. Oh, and you're telling me I'm your favorite. That's right. My mug says you are my favorite. And in this moment said you really are. (laughs) You're my favorite too, Renee. Yay. Well, welcome to the Embodied Astrology Podcast. What kind of tea are you drinking today? Today, I am drinking a sweet blend of mostly lemon balm, linden, and violet. Oh my goodness. That sounds delicious. Did you make that? I did, yeah. And it's from the lemon balm in my garden and some linden trees that I've befriended on a walk that I take my dog and some violets from my garden. Wow, you're drinking a, a cup of your garden. A cup of my garden, yeah. What are you drinking? I am drinking my second cup of matcha, mm. the, of the green tea variety um, today. And it is from um, a little tea shop, a local tea shop um, that I know the owner. And the um, it's a... It's actually a type of matcha that's used for baking and cooking, but I mm-hmm. really like it for drinking. I think that the flavor is really delicious and robust and creamy. Do you like matcha in your desserts too? I'm such a matcha fan. <laughs> like I really, I really feel responsive to the trend of matcha. Like, yes, give mm-hmm. me matcha muffins, matcha lattes, matcha ice cream. I'm just here for the matcha moment. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Janata Petrus, who you know, who's um, another EA facilitator this year, a member of our community. We got to visit with each other last year. We went for a short camping trip and I was making her matcha every morning. And so she coined the term matcha moments. Mm. Um, and then she started calling me the matcha maiden. <laughs> that feels very vestal and like perfect to be the matcha maiden. Thank you. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, The moon is in Virgo today. We're recording on Thursday, August 17th. It's the end of Leo season. We're just past, a day past the um, Leo new moon. The moon is in Virgo. Um, You're going to be teaching a workshop with Embodied Astrology in Virgo season coming up in a couple weeks, September 3rd, which is a Sunday. Would you tell us a little bit about what you're teaching in Virgo season? Sure. Yeah. I also want to say that I love that when you asked me to facilitate, you had Virgo Pisces in mind. Mm -hmm. That just seems really sweet. Virgo's in my fifth house. And yeah, I feel like I play with plants and it feels like a a devotion and a practice and how Virgos like to have fun in in drudgery and practice. (laughs) And so my class is called Subtle Bodies and it's called that because I want to weave planetary bodies plant bodies and our bodies um, into conversation. And so, yeah, we're going to be talking about like how to do that. I think a lot of times people are like talking to plant. I don't think anybody in the embodied astrology community will be confused by this idea, but I do find some people feel intimidated about the idea of talking with plants. 
um, and that it has to be a certain kind of way and there's a lot of ways to do it wrong. Um, and in, in my practice and experience, I, it's come up in a lot of different ways. Um, some, some subtle, some less subtle. So we're gonna get into our senses and feel into the place that we are of and where our plants come from and listen to the poetry of the stars and the poetry of our earth stars, which are flowers, and see how they interact. Mm. Wow, I love that. I have your chart up and as you were describing and um, talking about your relationship with Virgo, um, you know, when when I reached out to you to ask if you wanted to teach with EA, um, I was reaching from an already established relationship of some extent. You'd been uh, coming to EA workshops and tea times for a while, and um, we'd done a reading together, and I knew a little bit about your practice and could really feel the enthusiasm and curious excitement that you bring into your work with plants and into your work with the earth. Um, and looking at your chart, um, you yes, you have Virgo in the fifth house of fun and play and pleasure and your favorite pastimes and hobbies, as well as erotic energy. But you mentioned Vesta, like a Vestal energy for me as I was describing my matcha maidenhood. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and Vesta is such an important figure in your chart. You have Vesta conjunct the ascendant in Taurus. Um, for folks that aren't familiar with Vesta, Vesta is an asteroid, and Vesta in myth um, connects with the uh, lineages of uh, Hestia and Demeter and the kind of grain goddess archetypes. Um, but Vesta is also very much associated with the, um, the hearth and the, the home and the central location of vitality and life essence or life presence and how we attend to that. And it has a very strong devotional influence and aspect. And so when you were talking about feeling into this relationship with plants, um, and I was looking at your Taurus rising and vested air. Taurus is ruled by Venus and said's Venus is conjunct the sun and Mercury, um, co-present with Pluto and Scorpio. And you were like, let's braid it all together. Let's <laughs> braid our bodies and the plants and the earth. Um, and of course, I know you to be someone, and I'm this way as well, to really uh, sense and feel and practice communion and honoring and acknowledging of interrelationship and interconnection. But you're also a human being alive in the so-called United States in 2023 in an experience where uh, as much as we affect each other and everything, these interconnections are not really elevated or so conscious in a larger societal way. And yeah, your chart just feels like there's so much erotic into intimacy and interconnection um, in the earth realms. And I'm wondering um, if you can talk a little bit about how it feels to be a person who feels this way. Like what is your experience of being alive on earth and connecting with the element of earth, uh, both in you know, the, the natural world and the world of plants, but also in the human realms and societal realms and the ways that people manifest and build as a person who's so attuned and sensitive to the ways that we are already braided together, what's it like to be alive? And, and how do you perceive information and in your awareness of these interconnections? That's such a good question. And it's an, an enormous question. And I feel like I have two separate Mars and Gemini here uh, answers. And you know, they're the same too, because one of them feels like, like a grief tender, you know? Um, and so I read somewhere 
and I'm going to quote somebody who I can't remember, but they said that doing plant work is kind of like doing death work. And you're um, being awake to the, the suffering of the beyond human world. And part of being in plant relationship feels like tending and caring towards that. And then being an herbalist means like means being a connector and being a bridge um, to the more than human world, to the human body and um, helping, I feel like my work is transforming into helping people be with what is. And there's a lot of grief in that. And then the other side of this makes me think and want to reference um, the Alice Barkley Cat article that they wrote on Venus and Scorpio. And they say to be loved by a Venus and Scorpio is to be looked at like you want to be eaten. Um, and I feel desire like that in like this, this hungry way. And I think some of my closest relationships are plants because I can consume them. <laughs> and um, unlike my partnerships with humans, I try not to consume them. Um, <laughs> despite my desire um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and but in that I experienced this like enmeshment that is so joyous and so connective and just feels like it's holding hands with the part that's like the grief tending mm. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Thank you for, for saying that, that this relationship between working with plants and, and working with death. And when you said that, I was remembering um, recently a friend of mine who's a really great gardener was over and I'm a baby gardener. I'm like just learning. Um, and I've been having a lot of anxiety about cutting down a plant. Um, because I am like, oh my gosh, you are alive. This is your home. Who, you know, who am I to come <laughs> and change that? And my friend, um, you know, my friend was kind of had to have like a talking to with me and they were like, Renee, um, you know, plant life cycles are very visibly about living and dying. And when you are working with plants, it's okay sometimes if you need to like cut back a plant or if you want to uh, re replant it somewhere else where it would be kind of in a better spot, in a better area with, with kin that will support it, you know, in a different way than where it is right now. And since, uh, since they told me that I still haven't done anything with this plant, but I've been watching my garden in a different way. And, um, because I don't do a lot in my garden, I just kind of let it be there. It's been really remarkable to me to see uh, the death cycle in the life cycle, to be watching how what, what is cut down or falls down or decomposes is immediately turned into something else. Um, and when you got into talking about your you know, your Scorpio vibes, <laughs> Scorpio ways. Um, I was really feeling the energy of the psychopomp, right? And this, uh, this guide or doula or, um, you know, journey person that helps us to traverse through initiations, through rites of passage and through the liminal in between times. And I know that um, the practitioners that I've worked with who um, are, are working with plant medicine, that they've always done that for me. And Mercury, of course, is the ruler of Virgo. And in myth, Mercury is often associated with a psychopomp. Um, Mercury as the being that moves between the worlds of the living and the dead. And you have Mercury as part of your Scorpio stellium. Um, 
I would imagine that you identify at least in some small part as doing psychopomp work. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. My, my friend, Amy calls, calls me and calls like us, um, edge walkers. And I love that because I love plants that grow on the edges and margins and feel like they're close kin and also feel like I, yeah, am living between worlds, have one foot in, one foot out, um, in a lot of ways in the way that I have had a lot of loved ones move on to a different realm. Um, and then also just being a Scorpio and being very like curious of be what is beyond. But then again, with all the earth placements, it's just like, I fucking love it here. <laughs> I love being here. And so kind of, yeah. And, and I think my work as an herbalist, and I recently started doing body work is that is like holding, holding the liminal. Mm. Um, said has a configuration called a yod two times in your chart. You have two yods in the chart. Um, I've been obsessed with yods over the course of the last long time. We talk about them in EA a lot. I feel like there's a lot of like yod enthusiasts in our tea times. Um, <laughs> you're raising your hands. You're one of them. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the Venus retrograde that we're currently in basically June through October of 2023. One of the strongest aspects of this retrograde is a yod between Venus and Leo and um, Pluto and Capricorn and Neptune and Pisces. And so if folks uh, haven't heard of this configuration before, a yod is sometimes also referred to as the finger of God. It has a long pointy isosceles triangle to the apex planet, um, which is receiving two in conjunct aspects. Those are 150 degrees-ish, um, which in astrology is true difference. Um, and the difference between like a 150 degree or an in conjunct aspect and a 180 degree or oppositional aspect is that the oppositions, for example, the opposition between Virgo and Pisces actually describe two ends of a polarity and kind of like the yin yang, although they may seem oppositional, they're actually part of the same energy and oppositional signs or polarities uh, are always in um, complementary kinds of elemental signs. So Pisces and Virgo are earth and water. They both move down and in. Um, but a yod, 150 degrees, is totally wildly different. It's like not part of the same polarity at all. <laughs> and so the yod that I was uh, looking at um, when you were talking about being an edge walker and kind of holding these different spaces of experience and, and labor um, is this yod that you have between uh, Pluto and Scorpio in your sixth house, Saturn and Capricorn in your ninth house. Um, and both of them are in conjunct to Mars and Gemini, which is retrograde. And you and I have talked about this before, but you know, one frequent presentation of Mars and Gemini um, that I see a lot are, are with trans folks actually. And like people who in their embodied identity are already edge walking. They're already expanding edges, right. And, and, and creating new kinds of peripheries and in between directions. Um, and then this retrograde aspect, uh, internalizes that in a very deep way. And my feeling when I look at your chart is like, wow, from the beginning, like from day one, said was on this planet in their intelligences um, in communion with these environmental beings and forces that are also so largely and deeply shaped by historic and cultural forces. And that you and your intelligence um, are seeking connection and reconnection that are outside of what are the status quo societal frameworks and so in your own life, you mentioned experiencing a lot of loss. Part of the, the losing or the trauma are being pushed to an edge emotionally and psychologically 
then requires you to develop resources and skills to be in those in between places. I see you nodding and I'm really curious uh, as Mars is also the ruler of Scorpio and you have um, the Scorpio stellium in your sixth house, how this experience or these kinds of experiences have now created a container or capacity for you to hold space for others in those in-between places. And as a practitioner, um, you know, what is the value of being able to edge walk or being able to hold space for people who are at an edge or on an edge? Mm. Those are my people. I think that's, that's it. Like they're my people as a trans person, as a punk, as, um, somebody who, yeah, just has orbited around normativity, like sort of trying to fit into it and then realizing like, this is not my cup of tea. Um, I, yeah, my, I feel like kindreds live there and my life is about relationship and tending to those relationships and who I'm in relationship with are edge walkers. And, oh, there was another part of that question that I wanted to dive into, but I'm kind of losing it. I don't know. I think it it's fluttering away. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, can you describe what is the experience of being an edge walker? Or what is the experience mm. of walking an edge? Because I think, you know, edge walkers as people also need moments of stability, right? And so yeah. sometimes life comes along and pushes you right to an edge. And sometimes your personality that seeks edges out. In your experience and in, in your personal life and also in working with others and, and being a provider, can you describe like what happens on the edge? What are the potentials there? What are the dangers? What does it feel like? Mm. I feel like I want to talk to about working with people uh, first, because I think that's where I wanted to go before. And it is like a remembering and a surrendering to what is. It's like this deep presence that goes beyond the realm of the constructs that we're living under. And you get like right down to it, right down to the root of your experience, your feeling. Yeah. In my body work, practice, which is relatively new. I've held space for a lot of release and acceptance. And so like, we'll hang out with a part of the body and there's a lot of expression of rage, of grief, of anger, sadness, and it's being able to be held there. It is like finding the stability with where these like emotions and feelings have no place to go we can like carve out belonging for them in this container mm. yeah I love that and I can feel it as you're saying it and resonate to some extent also as an energy worker and astrologer um, and then I'm looking at the other yacht in your chart where we have Mars and Gemini and Jupiter and Leo uh, both pointing at Neptune and Capricorn um, in your eighth house and just feeling the, the curiosity and the generous container of inclusivity that you have to be able to offer as a provider to make space for all of that. And my experience with edge walkers and edge walking is that there's enthusiasm and excitement at the precipice of fear rather than aversion, right? And, and you're smiling so big. And it's like when, <laughs> you know, as a practitioner, it's like when you find that place where someone is, is where there's a nexus of trauma, right? Or a frozenness or a place where 
one doesn't know their own capacity or, or some part of the being or the body or the energy has been exiled. When you find that as a practitioner, it can feel really enlivening and exciting because there's so much power in those places. And you know, it's like, oh, if there can be a way that we can re-include and integrate and help this place find its place, that's going to be an enormous release of energy back to this person. Yes, absolutely. And I'm like smiling big because I'm remembering experiencing that as like a client receiving that kind of um, trust and expansive opening back into that. It's like so, so incredibly profound. And yeah, it's like when, when questioning, like where has my vitality gone? And then you have an experience like that of like meeting a a stuck point or a trauma and it being witnessed and having it reintegrate back into your body as energy. It's just like, I am powerful. Yes. <laughs> it feels yeah. so good. It yeah. Feels so good. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of bringing me back to the Virgo Pisces axis and this two ends of the same polarity, two parts of the same energy where Virgo uh, is representative of many, many different parts and many different details. And Pisces is the whole. And the Virgo instinct is to separate and to organize and sometimes to critique or refine or try and perfect. And the Pisces instinct is to include without question and dive in, right? And merge it all. Um, I know you've been preparing a lot for your upcoming workshop and part of that preparation has been an exploration of the Virgo Pisces axis. Um, what, what are some of your thoughts right now? What's inspiring you about these zodiacal energies? Mm. It's so funny because when you start being curious about something, you find it in everything. And I've been experiencing that in my research. Um, but I think one of the clearest things that I want to like bring to the conversation right now is, uh, oftentimes Virgo is associated with the herbalist and the, uh, the apothecary tender and right to my off screen is all my, all my jars. And I laugh at myself all the time because I love basking in a meadow and I'm surrounded by plants that are familiar and unfamiliar and the medicine of that meadow is just being there and being part of it. And then the medicine work that I do is like, I'm going to take one flower from this meadow and separate it and dry it and put it in this jar and extract certain things from it. And it feels very Virgoan. But I think the beautiful thing about that and about plant work is like, yes, I'm studying the body, I'm studying the plants, I'm studying how they um, interact with one another. I'm looking at the minute details, the energies, but to bring it back to the other side of the axis, there's so much trust needed and belief in what I'm doing, especially, yeah, I work with herbs in a physiological sense and that's kind of like where my orientation to herbalism started. I was interested in herbal first aid. And as I continue my education with plants, and also I think as I do my own healing work, I realized that like I'm leaning more on energetic medicine. And that work feels so much in the realms of the psychic and intuitive and less in the crafting and details. So yeah, just using my own life and like uh, plant work as an example, as like how these 
this access work together. You know, like you said, they're not separate, but they're supporting one another. Embodied astrology has so much other stuff going on. Our podcasts and horoscopes are actually just the surface. In our membership spaces, we also offer a variety of transformative, exploratory workshops with a range of brilliant and diverse teachers, a monthly conversation and astrology tea time sharing space, study groups, and more. Our membership offerings are all sliding scale, and we offer additional scholarships for those who need them. Keep in touch by signing up for the Embodied Astrology newsletter, following and subscribing to the podcast on your favorite listening platforms, and following us on Instagram at Embodied Astrology. Your donations and memberships sustain this work, and we are so grateful for your support. Find more information about our membership options or make a one-time or recurring donation from the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. As you were speaking, I had this um, image of you back in the meadow and um, you were talking about finding the one flower and, you know, separating it out and drying it. And, but the feeling that I had is that that flower, the reason why you were moving to that flower was because it spoke to a particular part in you and not knowing that much about, um, you know, plant work or herbalism myself, but also being in community with a lot of plant workers and herbalists. So I know a little bit. Um, And obviously astrology and herbalism have gone together for a very long time. And the doctrine of signatures is a big part of both practices. Um, When you were speaking, I was feeling that there was something that's happening for you in the meadow or in the relationship uh, with the the more than human world that you described as energetic or physiological and in my body felt like a resonance between particular parts and particular plants. You're nodding. So I feel like that makes sense to you. Can you explain that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there is this resonance and I think something that's helpful for my Mars and Gemini placement is thinking of the expression, like, I don't have to know, like I can see a plant and feel drawn to it and ask questions and move into curiosity rather than what is this? And what are you for? Off screen, I have New England Aster. Um, And so letting that be a change that happens in in my physiology, you know, um, instead of moving towards a plant and thinking, what is this good for? How can it serve me? Um, what is this thing's name? Instead, I can move with, I'm supposed to be here. And so are you. And why are we here together? Let's play, you know, let's figure it out. That, and yeah, that, I don't know. I just want to say that that's hard. That's like really hard to transition, especially we're so mercury oriented um, people. And I think even as like a, a person who helps people, you're like, well, how is this useful? How is this useful? It's like hard to unwind that to just be like, this is here and why? And not like, how can they support me? But how can I support them? And yeah, letting the resonance and the, the knowing be subtle and be not so much in the, the thinking mind, but in the body. Mm. Yeah, I'm really hearing that it's about cultivating relationship. And that in that re- relationship is inherently reciprocity and dignity for, the, for yourself and for the beings, but not a hierarchy. Uh, which disrupts, you know, the more objectifying, extracting, labeling uh, mindset that you're talking about. And when you said we're so mercurial or mercury oriented, you know, as a culture, I um, kind of took that to mean we're so mental. Like it's a very, we're meant, very mental culture and um, mercury rules language and it rules 
uh, certain forms of thinking, particularly analytical thinking or detail-oriented thinking. Um, and for those of us who have grown up speaking English, you know, like our brains have really been formed by a language and perceptive worldview that's so objectifying, like the English language is just so full yes. of nouns and nothing is alive, everything is an object, everything is like I. And, and possessive you, too. Possessive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of bringing up for me the dichotomy of the the planetary dignities or the the rulers of um, Pisces and Virgo are Mercury and Jupiter. Um, and when you said like, oh, we're very Mercury oriented, there was a part of me that was like, are we or are we Jupiter oriented? Because like, not that it has to be one or the other also, but that the balance yeah. between them, you know, that there's this way that Ju that Jupiterian energy can sometimes need to know or like have the philosophy and have the framework and say like, this is the way. Whereas Mercury as a shapeshifter and trickster and in-between mover holds a lot of complexity and curiosity, but it's like they need each other, you know, and to just be in the place where we're gathering details and things could go any way. It doesn't necessarily bring us into our embodied knowing um, like Pisces does, you know, in, in terms of Jupiter's influence, like this deep cellular resonance and connection and attunement. Um, but if we're really in the Jupiterian space of just like, yes, I have this feeling. And so I know sometimes we have no idea. You know, <laughs> It's like, oh, I'm in my fantasy. I, I'm making meaning about something that's meaningful for me, but I'm not actually connecting. And so mm -hmm. this element of relationship that you're talking about where it's subtle, it requires curiosity. There needs to actually be an outreach and perception of the relationship. Um, was really resonating for me. And I'm wondering, like, what have, you know, how have you been thinking about Mercury and Jupiter, the axis of Virgo, Pisces, and this place between what is, what is known or believed and what can be a question or an exploration? Mm. I, I love that you were talking about, um, like, Jupiter and getting lost in fantasy it made me think about mercury as the trickster and um how language can be so so tricky and um how we can just like like thinking about like a game of telephone and how i can say one thing and it's interpreted another way and and, and yeah, and then in doing this kind of work with other bodies who don't speak the same language I do, um, what is a bit, there's so much available for misinterpretation. And this idea of, and I think this question that comes to mind often when working with plants is like, Oh, I thought I like I thought I was getting this, but um, that could just be me. And this discernment and orientation between uh, self and other, and that that's like not so simple as we continue to learn about um, our bodies and our inner species exchanges and how you know like our our guts are are actually made up like of a, a forest of life. And there's many little me's in here making decisions that I'm not totally conscious of. And, and then like there's the influence of the world around me and I am of and am in a certain place and time right now. And so are you. And so if we're working with the same plant, but the plant is growing in the Pacific Northwest versus growing here in the Northeast where I am, we're going to be hearing from two different entities with their own experiences. And so like, maybe we have this orientation of like what this plant, we have an idea of like what this plant is and does, but then 
there's this experience of reality of what's in front of you. I think I went off and didn't quite answer your question. <laughs> I forgot my question, but I was following you. Okay. <laughs> I was definitely following you. And, and we're weaving. We're weaving. We're braiding. You know, what you were saying was just, it was resonating as kind of obvious truth, just, you know, in the sense of you're talking about beings alive beings right and beings that are coming into being at specific moments and specific times and specific places just like we do as astrologers when we look at charts we have to consider the context location and conditions because a thousand charts could look exactly the same a thousand people could be born at the same time or a thousand plants might exist in the same place but if we don't understand the context and conditions and the history and the lineage that is being brought into these beings, um, then we won't be able to read the nuance of the chart. And then the astrology becomes very formulaic, which at best is kind of boring and ineffective, but at worst can be really harmful. Right. And like, I don't know, I, I can't even tell you how many clients I've had who come to me and said, I bet my chart is the worst chart you've ever seen, you know, because, mm -hmm. I'm a Scorpio, right? Like Scorpios say that all the time. They're like, I'm so Definitely. sorry. I'm a Scorpio. Because you just get so much shade, right? Like Scorpios, Geminis, I feel like Capricorns can get it sometimes. Leos, Leos get celebrated, but sometimes we get some shade too. But you know, it's like it's harmful to be to be given an idea of who you are based on a tiny component like a sun sign. And even though the sun is very important, the chart is enormous. And the sun is yes. just one piece. And so to really give a good chart reading, it's like to be in that intuitive flow where we can connect and, and kind of help each other come into being or actualizing more, there has to be relationship that is specific to that context. And what I'm hearing you say is it's exactly the same with plants, that you can meet yeah. a lavender plant, uh, you know, in your neighborhood. And that lavender plant will have a different life experience and thing to say in medicine to offer than the lavender plant in my neighborhood. Yeah. And I want to, I want to speak to the um, things that you brought up about the astrological chart too, because I find that, and I know it's like fun and astrology is like a party trick and it's like a language that we're all learning and can talk about, but I really, it kind of like, irks me when I hear people pigeonholing sun signs or, or whatever. And um, like you said, like the chart is enormous and there's so many different ways to, to read a chart and to, and to queer the chart. And you brought up, I'm remembering now, you brought up um, planetary dignity and while we were talking about the Virgo Pisces axis and Pisces, yeah, Mercury's in fall in Pisces. And I think about how that language can be um, unsettling for folks. And, you know, like people saying like, oh, all my planets are, you know, in detriment. And so my life must be so hard. And as I'm a person with a lot of squares in my chart. And that was hard when I was first getting into astrology. It's like, okay, my life is just going to be like rolling a boulder up a hill, I guess. But no, like there's so much beautiful tension in, in a square. And to have Mercury in fall in Pisces, it's like that's where there's so much juicy medicine for for play for creativity i think about poets being having mercury in pisces and 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 flopping the rules and moving away from the orientation of like this is how this is supposed to be played out and being more of an edge walker and liberating these placements yeah, absolutely. And I think that the piece around the the language function is so important. And 
I was remembering as you were talking um, over the last few years, I've been really trying to work very deeply with my own language. Um, I'm a barely bilingual person. Like I spoke French for a number of years in my life, but haven't also for a long time. And so my, um, my mother tongue and primary language is English. And as English is a colonizer language and, and it feels like so instrumental in solidifying a worldview of ownership and possession and objectification. Um, I've just been really curious about like where, how do I use language and how does my language shape my consciousness? Um, and, and one example that kind of came to mind was the word pioneer. And that just popped mm. into my head. And I was remembering a moment when I had used pioneering and, and it, I think it was in a horoscope or an astrology blog post or something. And I, it was like, I had to come back to that word and ask myself, is this actually what I mean? Because the meaning of the word um, and what it references is violent. And if what I mean is a catalyst for new energy to come forward, then how can I say that in a way that really elicits sensation in the reader of new energy birthing rather than eliciting some kind of sensation of conquering or conquest that I feel like pioneers, you know, are, are uh, associated with. Um, and to your point about the essential dignity of, of Mercury, you know, I think that astrology, like so many things, um, or tropical astrology, which we're speaking about and talking about, Western astrology, has been shaped and formed also as part of a European kind of uh, European supremacy, white supremacy, colonial Christian, whatever, you know, uh, thousands of years of being shaped in a particular ways around an orientation to um, a, a kind of particular kind of like patriarchal supremacist worldview. And if Mercury is dignified, you know, in Gemini or Virgo, where it's straightforward and logical and it can do things, it's kind of elevating this idea of particular types of executive functioning and focus and linear logical thinking over the imaginal, creative, time-bending, integrated mind with body with emotion experience. And what you are bringing forward, I feel like, is the power of Mercury and Pisces and a, and a mental space or a cognitive intellect that can grasp the absurd enormity of everything is everything. And there's no separation of logic from illogic because whatever humans come up with as logical is oftentimes so illogical, <laughs> right? It's like we come up with yeah. these ideas about how things work and are constantly disproving ourselves, but yet don't really seem to learn the lesson of, oh, we're not going to control it. We're not going to be able to define how it happens. It is happening. How can we be in relationship with it, right? And that's, I feel like, what Pisces is asking us to do is to be in relationship with the everythingness and then in that to find our communicative capacity. Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, I am so excited for the future of less boxes, you know, Let, less being confined to a certain identity or state and um, opening the door to to the everything while still maintaining that like I'm an individual with an individual experience and like do need to like filter this experience but do it more fluidly and like have maybe a box with like two open doors so it can just flow you know mm. yeah that brings up the question for me of like what's the difference between a container and a box mm. what can hold something in a way that you know, gives it the, the quietude, I feel like, of a kind of separation or confinement where something can actually be held and germinate and grow in, in a way that has a necessary container. But like you're saying, not a box, you know, it's not, 
not, not formed by a bunch of right angles <laughs> and right. harsh lines, but is a, is a container where there can be growth and expansion out of. Yeah. That makes me think of, of rope. And I think, I think about that in regards to, um, to squares and that like a rope is just rope until you put tension on it. And then it, it can hold so much and is very strong. And so, um, think, yeah, thinking about it like that, like a, a tool that's like useful for holding, but is not going to keep you from expanding. Mm, I love that. As we head into Virgo season, Mercury is stationing retrograde in Virgo and will be retrograde for the first three weeks of Virgo season. And with this image you just brought in of rope, I'm wondering if you have a mini horoscope for our listeners um, or some kind of medicinal invitation around how to be with this Mercury retrograde in Virgo. And Mercury will be aspecting, of course, um, Saturn in Pisces and Neptune in Pisces and Uranus in Taurus and uh, Pluto in Capricorn, working with the Earth placements. I think. Um... The first thing that came, so I'm just going to let it come, is to remember, to remember what you already know and to let go of the idea that you need to know more because the essence and the beingness and like what is, is already there and you have it. That feels so perfect also for the work of all the earth signs right now. I feel like the intergenerational aspects of Pluto and Capricorn and Uranus and Taurus um, being combined in this Mercury retrograde and that the word remember is pointing at an experience of dismemberment and bodies coming apart or being separated and to remember is to come back into unity and wholeness. And you're reminding us that we're already there and our minds can be allies in remembering our, our present and current locations. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. So before we finish our conversation, um, I wonder if you might just offer a little bit of a a teaser, a, a, a taste bud um, of your upcoming workshop. And I think these themes of interspecies communication and remembering and how you might be working with Mercury. Um, I know that I feel really excited to come to your workshop. I think um, a lot of folks out there would benefit quite a bit from, from this work. How how are you inviting us to participate in with you and, and why might we want to do this in Virgo season or at any time? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think kind of the horoscope that I just gave of like a remembering is what I want to offer because I think we all have this intelligence within us to, to engage with plant intelligence. And I also want to invite people into a, a space that can be like trickster energy too and playful and one of exploring and yeah, not knowing with the mind, but, but knowing through the body and remembering through the body. Um, yeah, I I think that's all I want to say. There's yeah, it's going to be fun. We'll look at birth chart placements. Um so bring your birth chart and bring a mint family plant. That's another thing. We're honoring the mint family at this at this gathering. We're having a mint family reunion. So bringing a mint family plant that you feel called to would just be so great. I'm actually like a little nervous. I'm used to hanging out with plants, plants one-on-one, -on -one, not so much in like a big party setting. So we'll see how it goes. I think it'll be great. 
Um, What happens at the Mint family reunion? What's, what's the Mint vibes? We are about to find out. I, well, the, I think the Mint family in my experience is loud. You know, they can, a lot of the Mint family contains a lot of uh, aromatics and essential oils. They are really connect us to our, our old factory sense and, um, which connects us to memory. And yeah, I think if we're having a bunch of aromatics all in one place, it might get kind of, it might get kind of rowdy. <laughs> Sounds like a vibe for Mercury for sure. Exactly. Yeah. What we'll are, get chatty. <laughs> hey, what are the, um, as a, as a Mercury Virgo person, I'm like, hell yeah, I want to get chatty with Mint. Um, what are, who are the family members in the Mint family? Of course, Mint, but who else is, yes. is there? So there's Mint, there's Lemon Balm, um, Lavender, Catnip, uh, Oregano, Sage, a lot of, a lot of kitchen medicine. So I, I wanted to cast a wide net because I don't know who's going to be showing up and I want it to be accessible for people wherever they are. And I thought that, you know, mint family plants have been so have been growing alongside people for so long that even if you can't access the woods or a garden, you might be able to find a mint family in your pantry already that you might use for seasoning. So Hmm, I love that. Yeah. So do people need to have previous experience with astrology or herbalism to come to your workshop? Definitely not. Newbies, 100% welcome. I'm going to try to use Virgo season to refine my offering that it feels really accessible um, for both newcomers to astrology and to plant work. And there's going to be options for folks like if you don't feel we're going to be playing with plants and that could look like ingesting them, but it doesn't have to look like that. So if you're um, nervous about ingesting a plant, but still want to come and communicate with them, you're welcome. And there's things for you. Amazing. And yeah, just to also add to that, that I'm sure that folks who are already well-versed in herbalism or astrology will still find a lot in the crossover and and synthesis and what you're bringing uniquely to this. Thanks. Yeah. Seb, thank you so much for joining me um, for this episode. It's really nice to be able to talk to you in this way. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, Before we end, will you just let us know where you're based and what you're currently offering? And if folks are interested in connecting more with you, how they might do that? Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I am on Nipmuc and Pecumtuck land in so-called Western Mass, the Connecticut River Valley. And if you're nearby, I offer body work and one-on-one consultations. I also teach classes locally at the farm that I work at, Boxtrot Farms. That's also a place I want to shout out and I love. It's my home. Um, Foxtrot Farms grows beautiful medicinal herbs. And that's that's pretty much where people can find me and what I'm doing. I do stuff over Zoom. I do herbal consultations over Zoom, but not as much right now. But I think come winter, that'll pick back up. Okay, great. Well, we will include the link to Foxtrot Farms and um, your contact in the show notes and listeners, if you um, have heard this and feel inspired to attend Sud's workshop, it's on September 3rd, which is a Sunday. Um, And it is also the day that Venus stations direct, um, which feels really exciting to have you with us for uh, a moment where there's a real... um, I think support for feeling into our interconnections and interrelationships with Venus's influence. And the workshop is from uh, one to three thirty, I believe, right Pacific time. Mm-hmm. That's 
4 to 6 30 Eastern. Um, and I'll include the uh, registration link in the show notes and the recording will also be available afterwards. So if people aren't able to attend live, um, this is going to be a workshop that's super relevant for our current moment of Virgo season and Mercury retrograde, but also an evergreen workshop um, for folks who want to explore their astrology and their charts and mint and the mint family reunion <laughs> um, <laughs> as a synthesis of astrology and herbalism. Oh, said, thank you again. It's so wonderful to see you. You too, Renee. Thank you so much for holding this space, not just this one, but beyond embodied astrology. It's been so important to me in the last couple of years. So thank you. Mm. 